All right, 123 episodes deep, and we are joined today by none other than Christopher Twistifer Hollingsworth, a 20-year legend in twisting and in parkour and freerunning and movement. He is the recent co-founder and one half of Motion Mentors, an organization that's elevating parkour businesses and coaches and gyms and seeing great results. And he's also an Art of Retreat keynote speaker, a Dragon Ball Z aficionado as far as I'm concerned, and and historian, SPL style judge, USPK athlete and judges committee member. And we talk about all these things and more. And it's wonderful because Christopher just brings such an energy and presence and just thoughtfulness and his life has been transformational in so many ways. And so he has so much to share and it applies up and down and across the board to all people and everybody. So even though his business, his mentorship company, Motion Mentors, is really dedicated specifically and can orient around parkour folks in particular, these are universal lessons that he's teaching. And and I think that was one of the most powerful things about this conversation is, is just how broad um, his insights can serve. And so I loved this conversation. He's just an absolute legend and, and an inspiration. I know you guys are going to love it too. So please enjoy this episode with Christopher Hollingsworth. So you've been studying that along other side martial arts or just? Just that. Like it's been kind of like a fun thing that I've been doing. There's, um, there's this guy in Seattle that is like really well practiced and uh, he studies under like one of the people that like created the the discipline um i'm not like allowed when i when i work with him he's like you're not allowed to film yourself like doing any of these like techniques or anything because it's apparently like a like they safeguard their um their techniques pretty seriously you know um but it's fun like we go down and like there's like eight different forms that you can learn like from beginner like all the way to advanced and when you see this dude uh, do his like advanced form, like you can fucking feel the power behind like every single one of his swings. Like I'll be standing like eight or 10 feet away from him, just watching him. And like, just like his, you can see the intention of like all the way down to like his feet, like his feet are like locked into the earth. And you can just tell like when he moves with his momentum, you're like, if I got hit by one of those things, I would be fucking dead, you know? <laughs> so it's uh, it's really cool to see. Yeah, and he's a, he's a gentle dude too, which is like a, an interesting juxtaposition. Oh, there's always the contrast, right? Yeah. When you're super well-versed in something so ballistic and violent, you need to counterbalance it or you're... A psychopath maybe yeah I, and honestly there's and we we kind of all know this as practitioners like there's no real way to get there and get that good without having a counterbalance and without understanding something about life and about the opposite of that i think so too which is so cool you know because i think that's why we sometimes idolize and you know there's some truth in that but also there's some fallacy in that but it's partly why we actually idolize people and why we look up to people that are really good at parkour because we know that their their ability to do that, whatever that is they're showcasing, is proof positive that 
they have developed themselves and developed a relationship with existence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's a really good point too, because uh, this guy that I'm thinking of specifically, he's he's so gentle. Like when you even just like being with him, like his present, he's so like soft spoken, huge guy. Like his hands are like bigger than my face, you know, <laughs> and like he can dive Kong like. I don't know, like 12 feet or something. And you can just see like when he hits like his hands, like he braces and the impact doesn't go past his shoulders. You know, he's <laughs> so fucking strong. Wow. Um, yeah, but he's so gentle. And I think that's, uh, that's important <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I don't want to get too deep actually without, because you're wearing it. Motion, baby. Motion mentors. I want to I want to talk about this because this is the kind of the biggest thing that's that's happening in your life right now. Yeah, and I want to make sure people get that out of the gate for sure. Because so, you know, you guys are. I mean, tell me, tell me about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Motion mentors is very much so a. It's a it's a company that was birthed out of necessity. I would say. Um, it's, it's not something that like I ever intended to like be a part of or create, like I never sat down and was like, I need to make a company called motion mentors that are, that's going to do these things. Like I've actually been doing what I'm doing with motion mentors for like over a decade, I would say, but I've gotten to a point where I've honed my craft enough that I can now actually offer it like as a service. And, um, you know, it, it really came out of my own experience as a parkour coach and just working with like over a dozen different gyms over time, seeing like what different people deal with, uh, the burnout that coaches experience, um, how to navigate working with children and like, uh, you know, things like that. And so it, it really just came from, wow, there are like hundreds of passionate practitioners out there that either make a gym or they, you know, they're just a coach and that's like what they do. They're trying to take their passion and turn it into a career and they have no idea what they're fucking doing, you know, <laughs> and, and no one does. No one. It, it's such a like new industry, you know, and so um, I was going around just like giving various workshops to coaches like that's how it started was like, oh, yeah, here's here's how to actually become like a more effective coach, like working with kids or, um, you know, here's some of the systems that you're missing within your gym. Um, and over time I really discovered like everyone's dealing with the same problems, you know, like pretty universally. Mm -hmm. And if I could create, um, like just a, just one workshop to address that issue, like just the issue of burnout or just the issue of, how do you work with misbehaving children? Like you would see this skyrocket in people's quality of life at a gym, you know? Cause um, yeah, it's just horrible when you have a passion like parkour and then you try to make it to your career and you're lacking like skills or technology or um, information and, and then you just struggle. And then very quickly what you were passionate about becomes this box that you're trapped in because uh, you don't know how to navigate the various things that you're that you're dealing with, and so um, 
I started talking with Jimmy and uh, his, some of his staff were dealing with some of the issues that I had successfully addressed at other gyms, mm. you know, and I offered, I was like, yeah, let me go down and do like some workshops. Um, and Jimmy's brain is interesting because he, he's always thinking of like, how do you scale something? You know, how do you create it like bigger? How do you make it so that our impact is so much wider? His mission is to like deliver parkour, actual parkour, like sharing the value of parkour with over a million people. Mm -hmm. And so that's everything that he's thinking about is like going through that North star that he's following. And so when I went down and did this workshop and it was successful, he was like, how do we make this? How do we scale this? <laughs> how do we make this available to everyone? How do we take the whole of like parkour as an industry and build, like make some building blocks so you don't have a bunch of burnt out coaches. You don't have a gym owner that doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. You know, how do we, how do we have it so that like we can solidify the industry? Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. yeah. I guess my first question is, was that part of your journey too? solving these issues for yourself or how did you become adept at even solving them? And then maybe we can even talk about some of the common ones and solutions. Yeah. Oh but. man. Yeah. So, uh, man, it's, that's a great question. And yes, it totally started from like wanting to solve my own experience. Cause I was, you know, I started parkour when I was like 10 years old, like just like hucking front flips off of picnic tables outside and, <laughs> And uh, my, my parents, they, they really wanted me to be successful in life. And I had a lot of opportunities to go to um, different schools for like music and things and just different things that I was talented in that they could actually see that, like a very clear pathway for me. Like, oh, if you pursued this, you would be successful in life. You could make a living. They didn't see a clear path for me to make a living uh, by doing parkour and so they were trying to dissuade me like hey you should probably shouldn't do this and i was really gung-ho i was like no i'm gonna i'm gonna make that future happen and so i started like a lot of coaches did which was in the corner of a gymnastics facility and um i very distinctly remember one experience that i'll share where i had accepted this job offer and it was like a dream come true to go down to San Diego and work with Paul White Cotton, someone that I mega looked up to, you know, <laughs> still do, still such, a, such an incredible person. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the opportunity to work with him uh, with his parkour program in this massive gymnastics facility. It was uh, 15,000 square feet. Yeah. huge facility had three spring floors a tumble track a rod floor foam pits four trampolines like massive and um i very quickly discovered that being an athlete and being a coach are two very distinct <laughs> things just because i know how to butterfly twist you know doesn't mean that i can articulate that to someone and so um i got burnt out uh really fast and um, Paul ended up breaking his neck in the foam pit. He was doing like a quadruple front flip and he landed on his neck in the foam pit, broke it. He was out for like six to eight months. And then suddenly I went from being like an assistant coach to the head of the program. And I had to get really good, really fast at coaching. I went down to the San Diego Public Library and I took out every single book that I could find 
about how to articulate to how to guide someone to discovering something for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found some really great resources there, but I also got burnt out so fast. And I had this experience once where I had just clocked out from a shift and I was really tired. It was the end of my week. And um, I'm like sitting there just like exhausted. My body's exhausted. My mind's exhausted. I'm like super malnourished. I haven't eaten. And this kid comes up to me and he's super excited. He's like, Hey, can you, can you come work with me on like this front half? I really need, I can't figure out how to. And, and I just like looked at him and I was like, I was like, Hey, um, I'm actually not on the clock right now. Uh, if you could go find like another coach that's out on the floor, they'll, they'll help you. And, um, I'm getting choked up thinking about it. And, uh, and he looked so defeated in that moment. Um, and he like walked away and I didn't think too much of it. Uh, but I went home later that night and I checked my Instagram and this kid had liked every single post of my Instagram. And it was clear that he did this like before he came in, you know, and, um, I was like someone that he like looked up to. And in that moment, like the person that he met was this like burned out, super disinterested, like person that like wasn't there for what he was there for. And, um, and that really shook me up like a lot. Cause I, I kind of discovered in that moment, like, um, who I was for people, like as a coach. And it was like such a, such a disparity. I was like, wow, who am I becoming? Like, like, am I just here to like make money or like, you know, get a paycheck or like, what am I really here for? Um, so I quit my job, uh, cause I just like, didn't, I didn't feel connected with myself as a practitioner. Hmm. I was so burnt out. And, um, cause I was doing like, uh, how'd you even realize that at this point that you were burnt out? No, and it, and I didn't, and I, and that's the thing too. I had no way of recognizing the symptoms of being burnt out. Mm. I really just like thought that's like I need to I need to be more on point. You know, I need to be. Um, I just had no idea of knowing, and I remember actually even asking the owners of the facility who were active athletes themselves. I was like, "How do you how do you deal with like this experience of like." um, being burned out. And one of them told me, he's like, yeah, you know, I just, uh, I just get a little bit of orange juice in the morning, put a tiny bit of vodka in it, just a tiny bit of vodka. And like, I just sip that throughout the day. And I was like, what? (laughs) Like, are you fucking kidding me? But, but, and and like, we laugh, we laugh, right? But like funny, but it's like, yeah, because it's, I mean, it's just cause it's so sad. Like what else are you going to say? in a way dude it's super sad and like and if you go to any gym right now if you go to any gym in the united states that teaches parkour you will find similar ways of dealing with stress happening at every Mm -hmm. single facility you know whether it's energy drinks or you know smoking weed like hitting a cart out back you know nicotine um there are that's just it's so normal there's not a single facility that I've ever visited where the majority of like either the coaching staff um, or just like the people running the place, like aren't like locked in that vice because Mm -hmm. they don't know how to deal with their stress in like a healthy way. 
Um, and so when I said earlier that like motion mentors was developed out of like necessity, mm. um, that's the necessity, like in a, in a big way, because uh, there is a way to create coaching as a sustainable practice, as something that like fulfills you and energizes you and doesn't like take so much from you that you're left in these like anxious, burned out states, you know? So, and I'm like, I'm like preaching to the, any, any parkour coach will tell you about that experience. I can testify. I mean, I barely, my tenure in parkour coaching was short lived because of the burnout was so immediate. I was just like, this is completely unsustainable. And like you have just reiterated there, there, as far as I could tell, there was no way to cope with this other than just, I need to be out of this. I don't, I don't, I don't see a future in this. And it's really sad because this is where the rubber meets the road. And this is like where the growth happens is in these relationships, like you're saying, with these students that are excited and their coach. And, you know, just that one moment, I mean, that's a, you know, it is a poignant moment for sure, where this, this person come up to you and you never know who you're going to meet and where you're going to beat them on the road. And that can be a life lesson for him too. And I'm sure that he's fine and he learned a lot, but it's also just like, it's super, it's, I love how powerful it is. I love how passionate you are about it because if we are serious about growing the sport and if we are serious about, you know, what we all talk about wanting it to be bigger and stuff, then we can't just lean on the coaches and like in the way that, you know, Karl Marx <laughs> describes as like a, I'm not a, I'm not, a, I'm not a deep, you're not a philosopher. Communist? I'm not a communist. <laughs> I mean, maybe I am. I don't know. I, I, I literally yeah. don't, I know too little about it to even say, Yeah. but I would, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. this is like the, the squeezing of the working class it is. that's happening in the parkour industry. And it's just, it's, it's, indicative of a whole societal problem even it it's is. not it's it's very specific to parkour and is also completely universal this yes. issue yeah you're you're absolutely right and you're hitting the nail on the head which is um you know we're we're we live in a society where you have to make money you know like there's no there's there's literally no getting around that you have to do that and another very common conversational thread in parkour is an aversion to making money, mm -hmm. you know, there's like, um, it, it, it's, it's almost as if for people making money muddies the water of the passion in some way for them. And so, um, a a large part of my, uh, journey has been dissolving that conversation with coaches and being like, you know, having them advocate for themselves and uh, cr create systems where they can actually get what they're worth within companies and things like that. Um, cause you know, you'll have situations where you'll have a coach that is like an expert coach. And one of the ways that they have like, um, for lack of a better expression, like mental gymnastics, them way, their way into like coping mm -hmm. is, um, they just are like, yeah, this is my passion that I share with people. And like, I don't need that much money. I just need enough to live or like, or, or not even that maybe I'll get a dummy job on the side of things, you know, I'm working mm -hmm. as like a, a grocery store clerk and also coaching parkour. Um, and so I've, I've really attempted to do some violence to that conversation and get coaches to start like advocating for themselves and start asking for what they're worth. But that also comes down to communication skills, which like 
so oh my god it's such a thing um in the parkour industry we don't have communication skills you know none of us are are trained in that some of us are you know like i went <laughs> i went and studied literally how to communicate for five years and only just began to scratch the surface of like how to have like those types of conversations you know um so it's a it's a real it's a real issue for sure that um that needs to be addressed equipping parkour coaches with the tools that they need to actually advocate for themselves mm. so i actually want to circle back to yeah. what you said about uh being um a coach and being burned out quickly um one of the things that i also am addressing and like learning so much about is uh and and i'm curious for you um did you ever have a class or like a student that you worked with that you just really loved teaching that class or you really loved working with that student yeah i had i think several we had i mean we had i, I was teaching at the boulder apex the first one not the i probably taught a little bit at the big one but my my cut my teeth in coaching at the old one if anyone remembers that was next to Avery Brewing. It wasn't the 11,000 square foot facility that most people remember from Boulder's apex, like peak. Yeah. But anyhow, where the parkour Olympics happened. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is that where the parkour Olympics happened? Yeah, that's what they, that's what we called them. It was I like, I thought the parkour Olympics was Tempest like games first. I don't even know. That's what I think of when I hear that. Phrase. For sure. I'm just thinking, <laughs> oh, no, of no, like, no. That was Denver, the parkour Olympics. Oh, you're right. Parkour, you're right. You're right. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But the Boulder, anyways. Here nor there, but yes, definitely some 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 students come to mind still that I'm like, those were you know those are some excellent kids, and I was excited to impart. It's funny now because I thought I had more wisdom than I did, but because I was so enthusiastic about parkour, I you know was was very much enjoying some time there and and expend, and, and guiding some kids and, and delivering what I knew I could at that time. Yeah. And that's, that's a universal experience as well for a parkour coach where you mm -hmm. get these groups that like, you just really love working with. So if I, if I zoomed in on that class, you know, I would ask you, what is it about who those kids were being that you really enjoyed working with? Who those kids were being that I enjoyed working with? Yeah. What qualities did they have as students? that like made you validated as a coach, you know? Um, I would say that they could listen when it was time. There was like a trust that they knew that, you know, I, I, actually I was better with kids than I was with adults, I would say. Mm. But anyhow, the there was like a mutual respect that was really, um, yes. something I valued there and just their effort, you know, just like their, their excitement and enthusiasm to, yes. to be doing something that, Yes, that they, they could see that maybe the, I'm projecting a little bit, but I feel like they could really feel how cool this was and how fun. Very this was. good. Very good. And so that right there, you are literally pointing to what is missing for most coaches that they don't have any access to creating. Mm. And all it is, is it's a rapport. There is a, there's a distinction happening here. 
okay? If, if you have a child, you are now the distinction father. And when you go out into the world as the distinction father, you look at grocery stores differently. You look at cars differently. You're like, would this be safe for my child, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you become a parkour coach, you become a distinction coach. And you think about things from that viewpoint and you, you know, you organize your classes, you think about your own training and like how you can impart knowledge. But there's a big distinction that's missed for most parkour coaches, which is that every person that comes into their class is also a distinction. And that's the distinction student mm. and students, children that come into classes do not know how to think or act or look at life from the distinction student. And so I could assert from what you said that what was very strong in the classes that you enjoyed teaching was a relationship between the distinction coach and a relationship bet between the distinction student. And the way in which those two distinctions interacted was distinct. They knew they were there to listen mm -hmm. and to get something. And when you were speaking, there was a regard for what you were saying. And when you were interacting with them, you knew that you were imparting something and you, you were sharing parkour in such a way that they came to value it in the way that you did as well. And that's all a parkour coach wants, mm -hmm. you know, like if every single class was like that, we wouldn't see burnout to the extent that we see it. The reason why burnout exists in such a, in the way that it does is because here you are as the distinction coach and you're trying to relate to the distinction student, but this kid just wants to play Minecraft or this kid doesn't see you know, what's the, why would I want to do, my parents just brought me here. Why would I want to do parkour, you know? And so the faster you can get and the more efficient you can get at establishing that relationship, that rapport, the foundation that you have to work on is just way bigger. Mm. You know, you can accomplish anything on top of that type of foundation. But if that's missing, you know, everything, you could have tech, you could have tech directly from God <laughs> in your head speaking it and they wouldn't care at all because there's no foundation. There's mm -hmm. no like, there's no relationship for them to build on. And so with motion mentors, one of the things that I am like really passionate about doing is equipping coaches with the technology to immediately establish that kind of relationship, share with them like, hey, this is here as a parkour student, like these are what the expectations are. Th when I'm speaking, you know, this is how I want you to be listening. My commitment for you is that you learn everything that you want to learn here. You have a great time. You stay safe. That's who I am for you as a coach, you know, and, and the more we can equip coaches with that technology and those tools, the better they'll be. And that's all coaches want. Mm. You know, I I've interviewed like a a ton of coaches at this point, just like talking with them and like working with them. Mm -hmm. All a coach wants is to be effective and good at <laughs> being a coach, you know? And so, yeah, largely I'm just out to eliminate anything that's in the way of people sharing parkour in a way that other people come to value it how they do, you know? Mm. Love that.
Um, <clears throat> can you give an example of like what strategy you employ for, I mean, I don't know. There's probably lots of different types of students and probably lots of different tools for yeah. each type, but also what, what can, what can, what's a pro tip right now that we could, yeah, there's the, the for establishing that kind of connection and, and, the very first thing that I typically do with teaching um, coaches how to establish that relationship is you have to be able to identify the source of why that isn't there in the first place. Mm -hmm. So every human being wants to belong to a group of socially. Every human being wants to contribute to and belong to a group socially. And any misbehavior any misbehavior, even crime, you know, you can, this doesn't just apply to children. This applies to human beings. Um, you could assert that any misbehavior that's happening is a function of one's needs of contributing to and belonging to a group not being met. And so um, the very first thing that I would, that I establish with coaches is just getting, just getting, just understanding that any misbehavior that happens in their class is a function of a student's needs not being met. Literally, like they don't feel like they contribute to the group somehow, or they feel as though they don't belong to the group somehow. And so right, right away, right away with me just saying that, that is a contextual shift for most people that has misbehavior occur completely differently than it normally would you know mm -hmm. if if i have a kid that's coming into class and they're they've got their arms you know across like this and they're sitting in the corner and like mm -hmm. they don't listen to anything that you're saying if i didn't have in my mind that oh that's a function of their their needs not being met if i didn't have that in mind that would occur maybe threatening to me that that might occur annoying to me you know, that might occur like some sort of like obstacle for me to overcome as a coach. Um, but if I can keep in mind, wow, this person's behavior is ent entirely 100% a function of their needs not being met. As a coach, as a facilitator of an experience, that gives me so much power. And, and, it, and it gives me a new angle to approach children from. Does mm. that make sense? Well, yeah, it's a perfect sense. Cool. And I think it goes all the way up, like you said, <laughs> to adult relationships. There's the same kind of um, insight can be applied in, in many relationships, not just the student coach. But I, I love what you said there. Um, <clears throat> what are some of the other, I mean, I guess we, I mean, we can go all, we can go anywhere. But I, I guess what I was curious about real quick was there's other challenges as well with and you're kind of i mean you're giving these coaches it sounds like some real skills and elevating the value that they bring to the table and some of the other things that we just mentioned is just the amount of value that they are bringing to the table is it recognized how does how do you coaches go about navigating that relationship or gyms because i know that you work yeah. with gyms as well and oh man not always is it evident that there's that kind of margin in parkour to, to pay coaches what they're worth. And, you know, what other kind of problems do people are you solving for, for the coaches in that space? Yeah. So, um, that's a great question. 
Because I'll add one last thing. Yeah, please. One of the reasons I think I burnt out as well is it's the back to back to back to back classes. <laughs> yeah. That's that's that'll get you. But you might feel that's what you have to do if you're want. And again, you know, what are your? I want to pick your brain on some other things. But yeah, for sure. I mean, that's <laughs> this is um, this is an extremely nuanced issue I have found, and um, there's a, there are many different ways that we can kind of poke a hole into accessing freedom here you know like i'm all about having people have uh, having freedom self-expression and peace of mind within their job mm -hmm. and uh for some people you know they love working those back-to-back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back classes and like that's fulfilling and and the sticking point is like where they have to work with these kids that they dread mm -hmm. for some people that doesn't work and they find themselves kind of like locked into this uh, situation where it's like, well, if I don't do it, who will, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and so there's a couple of different ways that I address that. The very first thing that I do with that is uh, I sniff out resentment in a company. So uh, resentment kills teams. And mm -hmm. if you have, if resentment is anywhere, anywhere within your company, it is completely sabotaging your company, 100% sabotaging your company. And so um, you have these uh, gym owners who are just like us that just like made a gym because they want to have like a passion. They want to have their passion be their career. Uh, and then, you know, they only are making like a certain amount of money so they can only afford to pay their coaches a certain amount. And then you have these coaches that are like begrudgingly accepting the amount of money that they're making, the amount of hours that are happening. And then what happens is right there. So right there, <laughs> mm -hmm. that, that that's when resentment starts to build. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, you've got to be able to identify what, why are you resentful? What are you resenting? And then it comes down to two things, boundaries and communication. Um, which are kind of like the same thing, but it really comes down to communicating. This doesn't work for me. This doesn't work for me, mm -hmm. you know, and then, and then being able to advocate in a way that actually creates workability within the company. Um, so if I just like, if I was like a fly on the wall watching me go down and work with a, a company, which I've done. One of the first things that I do is I, I just get a sense of like what's working for you and what's not working, you know, such that like it's not sustainable for you, you know. And um, if you can identify those pain points of resentment, you can speak to them and then you can establish boundaries and then you can kind of eliminate these uh, broader issues. Mm. So um, to give like a specific example you know, I have worked with um, a company where it was very much so a situation like you were saying, where it was like one coach was doing so much of the work. And like when I talked to the coach, like it was just like resentment after resentment after resentment, resentment towards the owner, resentment towards uh, their coworkers for not doing as much work as them, resentment towards parkour in general. You know, and mm. so then I very much so, and this is where it's it's a slap in the face for a lot of people. This is the hard pill to swallow. It's entirely your responsibility to establish boundaries about what does and doesn't work and then communicate those boundaries, reinforce them 
in such a way that you can actually create workability for yourself. You know, you can go to your coworkers and say, um, my expectations are X, Y, and Z so that I feel supported. But that's not what coaches do. That's not what people do. People will just silently resent, 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 and then leave. And then it's, and it, it very quickly just becomes the way things are, you know, does that make sense? And, and does yeah. that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, let's go into that even more. I think sure. so. Like, <clears throat> so what are the, what are the other slaps in the face that I think like, you know, cause it is their entirely, entirely responsibility. And do you find that coaches sometimes or gym owners or anyone in participating in these communities have unrealistic expectations Entirely. about what they're because uh, i mean i know that was something i picked up on you know in myself and in, and otherwise and uh and what are what are like maybe some realistic or what's your experience around what people ought to uh, how they ought to approach attaching their identity or what they want to do with this parkour coaching career and or hobby or you know there's different avenues and entry points that you can have a relationship with this role yeah so uh, this is i love this topic this is really great um i i'm a big the reason why it's a slap in the face is because people don't want to acknowledge that they have any power in the situation it's so mm. much easier to blame a gym owner for your quality of life rather than like carving out and creating your systems in your life, you know? And so um, the source of all human upset can be boiled down to three things. And that's uh, an unmet expectation, a thwarted intention, or an undelivered communication. And those I can like really delve deep into, mm -hmm. but uh, it's when you become a parkour coach, there is an expectation that you are going to, if you just work really hard, you know, like, <laughs> you know, you know. <laughs> oh man, that's yeah. a good one. If yeah. you just, if you just bust your ass, like you're going to make it, you mm -hmm. know, like that's uh that is, and that's completely unrealistic. It's unrealistic. I did a, um, I did a, a survey for, uh, like a, a community wide survey that over four hundred people participated in across the world and 85 percent of the people that participated in this survey said that their job isn't just parkour coaching they're also doing administrative tasks as well you know like scheduling or like you know computer work or marketing um and that same demographic of 85 percent of people aren't being paid for most of them aren't being paid for that extra work that they're doing. And that comes down to advocacy. Mm. So they're not advocating for themselves. They're not communicating this extra work that's being done. They just see that it's something that has to get done. And so they're doing it because who else will, you know? Um, and so what I like to do is I like to go in and, and, and just bring the reality to the situation. Hey, the reality is working with kids is really difficult. There are so many studies that show that one hour of being a teacher, just a teacher, like you're not even doing movement, oh, yeah. uh, is the equivalent of like between four to six hours <laughs> of something like monotonous on the computer. Yeah. And so, and, and you just, ha you have to know that going into it. You have to know that. You also have to know 
wow, in this region, in this area of the United States that I'm in or wherever I'm at, the average amount of money that a coach is paid is $17 an hour. And I'm going to get roughly 20 hours a week. Okay. Now you have to do the math. Does that work for you? Can mm -hmm. you live off of that? Definitely not. <laughs> so what are you doing over here? Like begging your gym owner to like, uh, give you more money. You know, that's not feasible. That's mm -hmm. not realistic. You have to get that. However, there's a million other things that you can do to make money as a parkour coach. You know, you can do private lessons, you can do events, you can do workshops like I do, you know, so, but the very first thing that I do with people to kind of eliminate resentment is to have them align themselves with the reality of the situation. The reality is you'll make this much money. The reality is uh, working with children is extremely difficult and it's going to require that you carve out distinct skills other than just being an athlete. And, and so you have to be interested and aware of that that identity and that distinction is something you're going to have to create for yourself. It's not going to be given to you and it's not going to be the same as just being a passionate parkour practitioner that wants to share themselves. Mm. You've got to get really good at overcoming all of the obstacles for sharing yourself. You have to be very interested in how do I guide someone to discover the value of parkour in the way that I value it and what are all of the obstacles that could get in the way of that? What are all of like the barriers that could get in the way of me sharing this? You have to be interested in that. And if you're not, then you should do something else, mm -hmm. you know? Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. 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 I think that's, that's another powerful point is, is to really get to know yourself. Are you that guy or gal or anyone like, are you the person that is this going to be fulfilling enough for you? And or is this just a stepping stone to your next evolution? Totally. You know? And that's fine too. Um, but I love that you're giving people and you what I hear as well is that you're really wanting to create for those who do want to stay in it. And for those who do want to build a future and create more life around this role, there's more tools and there's more ways to access and build that life that you're dreaming. Yeah. One of the things that uh, that I've also come across is like, you have um, you have coaches, you have parkour, pra or actually I'll say this, you have parkour practitioners that want to make a career out of parkour. Mm -hmm. And like right now, the industry, the way that it works is it's like really the only way you can do that is by coaching in some capacity, sharing your knowledge. Um, and so what happens is, is you have parkour practitioners become coaches and then very quickly realize that it's not enjoyable like and and they suck at it you know i oh man i won't name the specific company but there was a company out in washington where they hired a bunch of parkour practitioners like from around the country to come like lead their programs and like uh like develop the community and like all I saw with these people was complaining about kids' classes and saying that they only wanted to work with adults and they only wanted to work with teenagers. And really what they're saying is, I, I only want to work with people who already know the value of parkour and they already relate to me as a coach. <laughs> you know, they already I, relate to themselves as a I student. I get you. I get yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. And that I was, hey, 
and that's fine. Yeah. But you shitty coach. Very good. And, and that's okay. And I, I, I don't hang my hat on the coach yeah. banister because I know that basically I just didn't have what it took. My, 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 what I needed from parkour was a little bit more selfish at that time. And that was not how I was going to contribute, um, at least for the long term. Totally. But like, I love, I love that. It's such a, I'm like, well, why doesn't the student just, you know, do everything that I wanted to <laughs> yeah. do? Or, and why aren't they like, excited? Why aren't they so pumped on it? They should just, they just saw me Kong. Yeah. Why don't they just bow down and wait for the answers? Yes. Very good. <laughs> exactly. And so, and so that's the, that's a hard pill to swallow. It mm. really is. It's, mm -hmm. oh, it's not that. It's not that I'm not interested in coaching. It's not that uh, these kids are the problem. I don't know how to work with them. I am lacking the technology and the tools to effectively communicate. And one of the very first like indicators for me that a coach needs training and communication skills is they hate working with kids. Hmm. Kids are so when dude, <laughs> yeah. When you know the there's only like four different archetypes for children, like <laughs> seriously. And if you know all four of them, like, not to toot my own horn, but I'm gonna toot my own horn. Toot. You could put me in a room of a hundred children, and they ha and I have been, done this before, <laughs> all over the place and on the spectrum. You know, not even neurotypical. Like lots mm -hmm. of different like neurodivergencies happening. And I can immediately establish that rapport such that everything that I say they have a regard for and they know what my expectations of them are as a student and I guide them to crafting that relationship instantly. It's not something that has to be developed over like months and months. Mm -hmm. You really can establish that in an instant with people. But it comes from where you're standing as a coach, you know? And so if you're not standing in the distinction coach, you're not going to have any access to impacting them as a student. Mm. And so I'm all about taking people and putting them more powerfully positioned as a coach. And then what I have found is these people, oh my God, some of my, the success stories that I have had from some of these people is like it it keeps me going. It keeps me up at night. I have, I worked with coaches in Seattle, Washington for like over a decade. I was there for eight years. I worked with one particular coach who hated kids. He hated kids. And he would say this, I hate kids. I refuse to work with kids. He was a parkour coach for like three or four years. Mm. He quit. He was like, I'm done. I'm no longer going to be a parkour coach unless it's adults or teens. And when I started working at a new facility, I know he's a good coach. And I called him and I said, come, come be with me, come train with me. And like, we're going to transform this experience that you have of working with kids, you know, and he didn't believe it at all. And over time, and it didn't take long, it took about six to eight months, he loves working with kids. And he's the head coach of the facility that I was working at now. And uh, he will tell you, like, it's been such a dramatic shift wow. because, yeah, because he just didn't know what to do, you know, and coaches have these ways of being that they've crafted and they've landed on. You touched on one just a minute ago with like the massive dive Kong. Mm -hmm. I also 
became what I call, and this is a distinction that I, I share in my workshops, I became something called a skill-focused show-off. Mm -hmm. And that was my method that I relied on to to basically like command attention. Mm -hmm. Hey, you want to, you want to be this cool? Hit a cork. <laughs> you better listen to me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and that resorting to that mm -hmm. and there's a million different ways you can, you can, you can land on being a perfectionist. You mm -hmm. can land on being authoritative. You can land on any number of things. But the thing is, is that it's, it's a box that you get locked into as a coach. And you're like, wow, to be an effective coach, I have to be able to demonstrate these skills. I have to be able to be authoritative. I have to have everything set up perfectly. And so I'm all about breaking those walls down so that people are free to just be anyway with kids. I can be direct with a kid. I can be gentle with a kid. I can I can show off to a kid and use my woo kemi to like mm -hmm. kind of like create a future for them. But it's not something that I now have to lean on and resort to to command attention and to and to create that class dynamic that's so important. Wow, beautiful. Well, how do people go about breaking down these walls and feeling that freedom as a coach? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and it comes just like with uh with anything, it comes with awareness. Mm. You know, like the there's this quote that i love that's um the very beginning of mastery is immediately noticing that which you are out to master and so if you can if you can bring into your field of view oh there i am being authoritative mm. there i am resorting to doing an aerial or a butterfly twist to command this group's attention that just just by noticing just by noticing you can begin to kind of like uh pry off the claws that that way of being has on you as a coach and it's important to acknowledge as well that like these ways of being aren't bad they're actually super useful it's just when it's your it's it's when you have to rely on it mm -hmm. and you have to resort to it that it very quickly becomes something you're trapped in and that that's a big contributing factor to coaches burnout is they just are locked into being and acting a certain way with children mm -hmm. or or students and so they you know, handcuff themselves and then they you know, wondering why it's so hard to, to do what they're doing. It's like, well, you have your hands behind your back, like locked away. Or exactly. You're dragging around this ball and chain or whatever it is, you know, this exactly. proverbial thing and it's exhausting you. Yes. And so, you know, it's an inefficiency. It's not very A to B. Yeah. Ex you. It's very <laughs> unparkour of you. Yeah, extremely. <laughs> and you'll hear people say like, um, oh, I've got to be on, mm. you know, I've got to be on for this. Like, uh, you know, and so like what they're talking about is like generating that way of being, mm. you know, like they, they have to, gen they've got to generate something and, and that takes something that takes a lot of energy, you know, and that's also where resentment can also kind of creep in as well, because there's like this uh, expectation that like people will see that generation, like you generating yourself and like appreciate it, value it, um, and that's just not the case most of the time, you know, that's so mm -hmm. in, in the same way that like, you know, the, you know, the people that you can be around where you're like, 
oh, like, thank goodness. I, I can just like be myself. Like I don't have to like perform or, yeah. you know, I, I can, sp I can speak directly to this person and just like tell them how it is. I know they're not going to take it a certain way or like, you know, that you can have that relationship with children in mm. your classes immediately. But there's so many like barriers and experiences of yourself that are in the way of that. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm just out to like eliminate those so people are free to be. I love that. I mean, yeah, it sounds like you're really doing like you're really helping people evolve beyond into this coaching distinction. And I think that probably emanates in other areas of their life. I'm assuming. I mean, they, this kind of awareness can't doesn't stop at the gym <laughs> door for sure. You know? Yeah, dude. So I love that. Can you tell me more about the? distinction of this coach and it feels like it's sort of tied into the that how you define that role and i don't know if you do define it yeah if you have like some attributes oh, totally. that you like to ground people in so that they can yeah. embrace that instantaneous command it's, over over maybe not command is the best word but whatever over themselves and and therefore over the space dude you ask some really great questions and um it's the way that i think about it is uh if if I'm a chess player, I have to know all of the ways that my pieces can move on the board. I have to know that the knight moves like this way, the rook moves like this, the queen can move all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's very much so the same with a coach. That foundation that I was talking about earlier about accomplishment, it's all, and by the way, all of this is about accomplishment. All of it. It's all about achievement and having people accomplish what they want to accomplish out of life, become the person that they want to be. You know, um, that's why a lot of us get into parkour in the first place is because of what it makes available to us and who we become as a function of practicing. And that accomplishment, that achievement can only come about if you know who is who in the game. Okay, so if, if you have a parkour class, you know, the, a game called parkour class, mm -hmm. you have a piece called coach and you have a piece called student and the coach moves in a very specific way. The coach is there to provide very distinct things for the game. So is the student. And so a coach, what a coach provides is knowledge, experience, you know, safety, fun, learning. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that they do and they provide and there's, um, and there's ways of being that they bring forth to facilitate that a student, a student is only there to accomplish. A student is only there to achieve whether or not they know it, mm -hmm. you know? And so it's up to us as a coach, one of the key functions of a coach is to establish for students why they're there. You know, and and what the expectations are of of being a student, and very simply, one of the ways that I do that, um, I just wrote an article about this. It's on uh, Motion Mentors Instagram, called uh, Coach Space and Student Space. So I'm a huge believer in creating very distinct spaces in classes, and when a when you when you create coach space, coach space is a is a space where every the expectation is is that everything that I say as a coach you listen to 
as a student, your job during coach space is to show me as a coach that you are listening. You've got your eyes on me. Your body language shows me that you're not giving your attention to anything else. You're not on obstacles. You're not jumping. I command full attention for a short amount of time. Mm. And what you can count on me for as a coach is I will not abuse that. I'm going to take maybe two minutes during the coach space to really articulate. And then if you respect that space as a student, then during student space, like that's your realm, you know, like you can now take everything that I just gave you in coach space and you can play with it. You can explore with it. You know, you can practice with it. You can ask me questions, but the coach respects the autonomy of the student and the learning process and also embraces their role as a facilitator and as a guide, not as like, um, like a commander or like a drill sergeant or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like, that's key and pivotal is creating what the expectations are. And that's an easy way to do it. There's a million ways to do it, but mm-hmm. it's, it comes down to teaching students how to interact with a coach. When I'm speaking, you're listening. And oftentimes I go into a gym and uh, one of the first things I address with burnout with coaches is you just see a coach. Oh my, I think I know what you're going to say. Yeah, go for it. They're just screaming over a hurtling chaos of like kids. Just, they just, (laughs) they're just going off and no one's listening and they just keep basically, you know, again, and I don't know what you're, I think. What I, what I remember working for me is like, you have to, and again, it has to be something you establish, Yeah, but you have to be silent and you just wait sometimes. Yeah. And then eventually the, the kids will know. Yeah. And, and that, I, you and probably have better strategy. tools of it, but there's a, many strategies I'm sure, but it is just so funny when you find, cause you would find you, you can find yourself doing it too. You're just like, I'm just screaming into the void. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Or you're repeat. Yeah, exactly. Or you're repeating yourself. Like mm-hmm. you give an instruction, Hey, make sure that when you, when you do this step vault, your hand and your foot stay on the block until your back leg touches the ground. And then you see everyone lifting their hand up, you know, and then, so you're just repeating the instruction to every single time that you see it. Versus, mm-hmm. And then so you get these coat, and they're just burnt by the end of like one hour. They've, oh God, they've given themselves to these kids, but so inefficiently, <laughs> so ineffectively. And uh, that, that goes into the, one of the biggest sources of uh, uh, upsets for a human being is an undelivered communication and an undelivered communication. That doesn't mean necessarily that you're keeping it inside. You may be saying the communication <laughs> over and over and over again, but it's not it's getting, not got, yeah, it's not getting gotten. And so that remains undelivered, mm-hmm. you know, and then people are like, fuck, like kids don't listen. Mm. No, you were ineffective at delivering that communication. And so if you can, if you can create these spaces with kids where they know, oh, I, I've got to listen during this, I, I, it is as a student who I am for the coach during this time is full attention. And you can really create that with each student in their own way, which ta- which takes practice and skill um, and communication work. Uh, but if you can do that, you the the classes that that coaches remember for the rest of their life where they're like, oh, that was that's why I'm a coach. 
you can create that with anyone, anywhere, regardless of who shows up in your class, because you are so standing where a coach is standing. And then also have the tools to guiding students to, you know, operating like how they should be on the board, mm-hmm. you know? Love this. Well, let's see here. I have two directions I'm curious about. Yeah. Um, and one of them's a little simpler. So we'll start with that. And then we can, what I want to do is get back to your story actually after okay. this. But to tie this up a little bit, I'm just a little curious as well. What are your, I know what I'm hearing is you want, you want lots of tools and really you can't tie yourself to any one of them because you're just going to box yourself in and you're going to find yourself more prone to burnout, more confused about why things aren't working because there's no one purpose, you know, one tool for all students. But when it comes to commanding the space and, 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 and dealing with maybe difficult behavior or whatever, what are your go-to strategies in terms of getting that student into their role? Yeah. And, and then them recognizing it, you know, or unconsciously even if they, if that works, but just like how, how do you, whatever the, some of the tools that, that coaches need most Yeah, when it comes to that, because, you know, there's punitive versions, there's, there's can be authoritarian, there's lots of different expressions of it. And some of it might be not so great. And some of it might work for certain students, but I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, this is uh this is the cool thing. Um, there's like, yes, I give like a million strategies for how to access this. And there really are like, there's no right way to do it. And if you go on Motion Mentors Instagram or website, you'll see like so many different strategies and tools for how to do this thing. But I'll tell you right now, uh, it all it all revolves around this, which is getting them. Mm. So when someone experiences that you get them, the, the relationship that you can have from there, that's, that's all that foundation is, is being gotten. Like, oh, wow, this, this guy gets me. And as adults, um, we're trying to like, we're trying to teach a class, you know, we have like an idea of like what we want to do. And a kid can very quickly come in and like throw that off, you know, and then we relate to them as a problem and we see what they need to do. You need to listen. You need to not push this other kid. You need to not cut. And so what we do as coaches so often is we jump right to having them get us. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work. It's ass backwards. It's totally ass backwards. And it works to an extent, but then you'll never have you'll never have the relationship with kids that you need to to really be like having your kids like competing at SPL, you know, if you want them to like, you know, out and training by themselves and with other people and sharing parkour and bringing people to your gym, you know. Um you won't have any of that. It, it, yeah, you can make them listen, but you won't have the real deal unless you can get them. And the good news is all the strategies in the world, who gives a shit? It really comes down to connecting with people. And if you're a person, you can do that. And so what I, what I, I think one of the biggest strategies, like if there is one is like really get them, you know, really understand, you know, and that comes down to, like I said before, if someone's misbehaving, 
it's a function of one's needs of contributing to and belonging to a group not being met. And if you can get that and you can approach, hey, I noticed, you know, from from you throwing that block across the room, like I get like you're not having a good time. Why don't you how are you feeling? You know, why are you feeling this way? And I could I could create scripts, I could create communication tools and Mm -hmm. techniques, but it all boils down to like just getting them. And if and if they get if a student gets that you get them, they will get you. There's space there. You create space. When you get someone, you you create space, you know? And so strategies aside, uh, I actually like try not to be as strategic as possible. I never go into like a class being like, oh, Andrew's coming. Like that <laughs> means I have to like do X, Y, and Z, you know? Mm. Um, I like to approach each interaction like completely fresh, give all of my preconceptions, like just throw them out the window actively. Like I actively like am like, Nope, fresh slate for this kid here. And that above all else, if you can just do that, you don't need to know the right thing to say. You don't need to know, you know, specific communication tools. You can just connect with them. And then naturally what will unfold from that connection is that relationship between coach and student because they'll get that you get them and that you are here for them. And, uh, yeah, that just goes that goes such a long way. That's and I have like a I have like a hundred things I could say similar <laughs> to that, but that one is like so big. I love that, man. I feel so envious of the kids that got to learn under your tutelage. <laughs> you, like, I mean, like you know, we can all anyone who's listening would be able to tell like just how passionate and how much you devote yourself to this, and it's awesome, man. I, I can see that there's going to be some waves of beasts coming yeah dude with absolutely. your with your uh thank you guidance <laughs> yeah it's another really great coach that uh if you want to see this like in action uh dylan titano i've seen some of his recent stuff yeah he's caught my attention on, on instagram he's got that mic yep and so it's cool you can see some of that live action training i love that what he's doing and with spreading just tools and also just demonstrating in 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 real time how he's coaching dude yeah very and, very and you can valuable. see those kids are so like this is something that's really fascinating often uh if you have a very strong coach student relationship those same actions that would irritate you or throw you off very quickly become like um inside jokes that don't detract or take away from the space at all. Don't interrupt other people. Uh, and they become like, uh, they like help the space grow. You know, like if you watch Dylan's, um, mm-hmm. some of Dylan's videos, like those kids are like, they'll like stop and like floss, like hit a floss or something like Fortnite emote. <laughs> and, uh, or they'll like crack a joke and like Dylan won't make that mean something negative about them or like say, Hey, I'm, I'm commanding you to do this. Or like, he won't become, you know, he's in on it. And then it very, the flow goes right back into like what they were learning and what they were doing. So I love his videos are getting like millions of views right now. And I freaking love that the general population is being exposed to like what good coaching really looks like, you know, Mm -hmm. and what it makes available. Cause if you watch like those kids share like what they're afraid of, and they share like what they want to accomplish 
and they share their fears, their sadness, their joy, all of it has a space in the class, you know? And that's a function of good coaching. You can't, ha you can't have that if you're trying to like command it 100% of the time, you know? <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I love, I love what his, he's been putting out. It, this whole thing makes me realize, you know, this conversation is bringing to bear again that it is crazy how underpaid, like the whole conversation we had about, well, you got to have realistic expectations. And at the same time, don't we all hope we can, we can maybe invest in, because we know how expensive it is with daycare and these things. People are paying crazy sums of cash but parkour and in many other disciplines like it are still a little in teaching and teachers, you know, all these things that these people that are raising our kids and guiding our children. It's like, yeah, whatever. We'll pay them what we can. Totally. Um, so I love that we're building a bigger awareness around that. And I think, again, just to speak a little bit to what you've already said so eloquently is just, it's good to know, you know, that, you are highly valuable. Even if society and other people in your community hasn't seen it yet, as long as you see it, you can start to create that around yourself and show people. And I think Dylan, you know, is ex again, now becoming a shining beacon for people to be like, okay, well, people do value this clearly. Yeah. Um, because parenting is not easy and everyone needs helps and it takes a village and all this stuff. And society's moving in a direction now. It seems like where even more than ever, these kind of second, these communities outside of the family unit are more and more important because we have been so isolated. It feels like, and people are starting to, you know, not feel like that's working. It seems like yes. that's my, that's my sort of pulse on the, on the, Dude, state you're, of you're 100 accurate right now you're 100 accurate I, I can't even tell you how many times i really can't like I, it's it happens so often mm. that a parent will come up to me after watching me interact with their kids watch me teach a class and they'll say how did you do that mm -hmm. i or like man I, i've never seen him listen so well you know or, or or just or just compliment like my communication style and parents parents are really interested in how to create this space as well, but also struggle with it and lack the tools. One of the things I'm thinking about, thinking about doing is creating a workshop specifically for parents mm -hmm. to take the space that I create in classes and, and, and continue it, you know, further it at, in their homes because they see um, socialization happening. And mm. that relationship I was talking about of like, if you're playing chess, you got to know how your pieces move on the board. Kids are not socialized. They don't know how to be and act in groups or in society. And so then, you know, they won't contribute to a group or belong to a group if they're not acting ethically or morally that, you know, and so, and then they'll misbehave, you know, and then you got crime going on. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's super important that we actually get our hands around what is socialization, you know, and it, and it, it just boils down to how to act in a group in such a way that you contribute to it. You forward the conversation of the group. And, uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why parkour coaches are so underpaid and undervalued is because we're not just teaching parkour and any parkour coach will tell you this, mm -hmm. you are socializing children. Mm -hmm. You are teaching them how to, be and act in a group in a way that contributes to it 
and in a way where they experience belonging. And if you can't craft that for yourself, you are shit out of luck in life. Seriously. Because everywhere you go, there are people. So you better get interested in how to interact with people in a way that doesn't turn them off. <laughs> you know, and like, and you can contribute to them and then you can experience being contributed to all of that is happening under the guise of parkour coach, Yeah, you know, <laughs> pretty <laughs> wild is, when he's at a critical, at critical ages. I mean, there's a wide range, but there's, I know that programs start as young as two now, it thinks, you know, but even before that, you know, five years old and five to six and seven, those are some, some of the most formative years in a person's consciousness to yeah. be you know handling that kind of sensitive um space it's it's super valuable okay i want to get back a little bit to your story your personal sure. story yeah because there's some we left off at sort of and we got into some great stuff and i love everything you do with motion mentors i'm sure we'll we'll talk even more about that but also you were burnt out Paul White Cotton does a quad front, breaks his neck. Yeah. And you're at the library now studying on the coach books and communication books. And how, again, did you like, because, you know, I mentioned this as we started the show, the, the evolution of you, you know, has been many and like massive because you have a few different arcs. You have the, the coach, the one that we're kind of talking about now. You have an incredible athlete, like who you were. And I want to actually dive into that a little bit because sure. you know, we know each other pretty well, but not that well. You know, yeah. I, I didn't get to grow up near you guys in Colorado Springs and, and be part of that community as tightly knit. But I know that you've just been deep in it for a long time and you <laughs> came from like the fucking, you know, like yeah. the whatever the air you know just being kind of probably like many of us were this rather scrawny like sort of misfit yeah. into like this sort of hero and and that journey and then you even had a more recent kind of like resurgence of, yeah. of being like <laughs> and now it's like act two like i've got my <laughs> shit even more together <laughs> welcome to the 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 charizard that was just char What's the one between Charmander and Charmeleon? Charmeleon. Yeah. You ain't even seen Charizard yet. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. I guess like just to like, but let's just pick back up just sure. for a starting point on like where you came, where what happened after that, and how did you develop all these skills? And you know, aside from reading the books, what landed you then to again where we kind of initially started, which was founding Motion Mentors? Yeah. Um. All right. So there I am. Uh. I am very quickly realizing that who I am currently is not capable of managing this program, you know, of like 75 students at the time. Um, and there was like this sense now that Paul was gone, uh, it's like, if not me, who was like this feeling that I got. And I very much so experienced like an inadequacy um, where I was like, okay, who I am is not capable of delivering this program, you know? And so I went on to a really big journey of personal and professional development. And uh, I don't know if you know much about, um, I mean, you, you meditate and you obviously are like someone that has like very deeply explored themselves as well. Um, there's a lot of baggage that you have to clear out 
before you can develop yourself, you know? Mm. Um, I had like adopted some pretty uh, defeating like um, beliefs, you know, such as like uh, a big one that I have like always dealt with is being in competition with other people, you know? And so like, I always had this sense that like, I was always in competition with those around me, which like led me to developing some really great parkour skills. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, I was left with relationships where um, our only connection was that we were competing against each other. And so I got to this point, not only as a coach, but as an athlete where I was bankrupt. I had all these skills as an athlete and uh, I hated myself, you know, and I hated like my life. I really did. It was like, I was like 17 years old and I felt like I was at the top of this mountain uh, and there was only fool's gold at the top. There was fucking nothing up there. Mm. What I always really wanted was like to connect with people and to like share something with them. And I didn't know that. And so I had to, I had to discover that. And um, I did a program called Landmark, uh, which is a personal professional development company. Um, I did their first course. And that course is all about, um, it's called The Forum. That course is all about taking things that happened to you and then what you made the things that happened to you mean about yourself and other people and really just bringing it into the forefront of, oh, I made that meaning. I attributed that meaning. I, you know, someone did uh, a double B twist in front of me and I made that mean I'm not good enough. And then I'm living my life like I'm not good enough. And so um, to begin to crack at accomplishing what I wanted to accomplish, becoming the person that could run a program, the person that could, you know, manage their uh, passion and their career simultaneously. I've, I first had to get out of the way everything that was in the way of me experiencing freedom, self-expression, and peace of mind in every moment. And so um, that course helped a lot. There's many different paths to that point of like empty space where you can create yourself. But I did that course. That helped a lot. And then just so many, um, so many books uh, one of the one of the ones that I'll I'll just recommend for anyone listening, if you're interested in becoming a, a parkour coach, there's a an author named uh, Dr. Sue Massimo who wrote a gymnastic psychology book. It's the only book I've ever found that delves into like how to interact with someone while they're afraid, how to uh, command a group that has like a large energy level, like basically like all the tools and tips. And so that that book helped a lot. Um, but then it came down to practice. You know, here I am, a kid, 17 years old. My program director, best friend, just broke his neck. You know, he's counting on me to like manage this program. So is the gym. And so I stepped up and, you know, I was six hours. Um, this is not an exaggeration. I was six hours away from the facility. I lived in National City and it was all the way at like the top of San Diego. And I would bus there. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. And, but you know what I did on the bus? <laughs> is I listened to podcasts mm. and, I, and I journaled and I meditated and I crafted and created like who I was going to be for those kids today, every six hours. And then when I went home, you know, six hours, but it's, uh, sorry, the whole trip is six hours, oh, three okay. hours there, three hours I back. Was, I was going to say, I was like, where's the time to sleep, <laughs> yeah. my dear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
It's three, but either three way, hours but that's there, still hours that's a huge commute. For sure. It was it's, massive. Yeah. And I was getting paid uh, $14 an hour, you know, which was less Not than, including the travel time. No, not at all. I'd pay for all my own bus stuff, you know. Oh, my and, God. And, and uh, yeah, these gym owners were horrible, too. I'll just say that. Like, and it, not both of them, just one of them, but the one that mattered, the one that, like, you know, mm. they'd miss, like, my paycheck and then just be like, oh, sorry, we'll get you next pay period. And I'm like, I have to pay rent. You know, I have to eat, you know, like, so... um. Long story short, through through that trial and error and like being there, um, I grew that program from 75 students to over 300. Wow. And this little parkour program that was, you know, shoved in the corner of a gymnastics gym very quickly became the gym's main source of revenue. Hmm. And uh, so that, that was an indication for me that th there's some value there. There's like there's something there that like gymnastics and cheerleading and you know all those other things don't offer and how i would run the classes is i i would literally have a session with the kids where i'd be like what do you want to learn who do you, who do you want to be you should bring me like your idols you know and they'd bring me like uh people like ryan doyle daniel abaca like phil doyle like you know all the ogs that are mm -hmm. like super dope and they'd be i want to move like this cool that's what class is going to be about and then if it didn't hit if it didn't hit this uh, this kid's interest, I would promise I'd make sure, hey, next time that you come to class, I'm going to make sure we have a section just for you for this, you know, and I would actively speak that out into for the whole group so that everyone knew what was happening and we were all on the same page. And, um, you know, those kids that you come across that can like they can backflip, but they can't tell you how they can backflip. They can mm -hmm. just like do it and they don't really know how they're like, yeah, I just I just. That was me creating these spaces with kids. Mm. I was doing it really effectively and really well. But like, if you asked me how I was doing it at the time, I would have no idea. You know, I'd, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just really passionate about parkour, you know, <laughs> but I was implementing all these little skills that I had to then like, I had to, especially with motion mentors, like zoom out and be like, what is that? Mm. What is that that creates that space? What is that that has people come back? And so um, I ran that program successfully to a point of burnout. Had no idea how to combat that or, or anything. And I didn't even really recognize I was burned out until I started having panic attacks. Hmm. And um, I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but like- I've had one. Yeah, that's all you need. And that's all I needed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you literally feel like you're going to die. Like every yeah. cell in your body's like, this is it, bro. And that was, that was, uh, if you don't take time to rest and create for yourself, like that kind of uh, sympathetic nervous system activation, you know, your body will force you to. And so that's what happened. I was training hard as an athlete. I was training hard as a coach. I was expanding myself, growing but I had no idea how to rest. Absolutely mm. no idea. And my diet, oh my God, my diet was horrible. <laughs> I was, had a big bottle of Red 40 Gatorade at, the, at my bedside. And that's like, you know, I just wake up in the middle of the night and chug half of it. And like, <laughs> I'm, I'm over here ADHD. Like, oh dude, oh my God. Red 40 is so bad for you, by the way. If you It like <laughs> makes you aggressive. It like messes up your, your gut biome. Like, so yeah, my diet was horrible. Makes you infertile yeah, and it, sterile. Dude, yeah, so much stuff. That's the good no stuff. Mountain, code Red Mountain Dew. Yes, yeah. Sponsored. Plenty of Red 40 in that. 
Yeah, thank you, Code Red Mountain Dew. <laughs> See, that was that was my diet, and like that's what I was doing, and uh, and I got burnt out, and I like fucking collapsed in on myself, and um, mm. that's when I filmed that Move Mag documentary, uh, Fearless. Mm. My I had a close friend uh, take his own life. And it was like, he had moved down with me to San Diego. He was a huge support system for me. You know, he gave me like rides when I needed them and like, and just like camaraderie. He was like my close friend that grew up with. Um, and so then I was like, that's when I knew I was, I had that panic attack and I had that experience. And I was like, I have to give this experience to the community in some way so that like other people don't experience this or they have some sort of access to like escaping this. And that's when I made that documentary, um, fearless and like that. And I still spent like years in this panic state. Like my hands would sweat my, I would wake up with like hands and feet sweating. I couldn't sleep really well. I had, um, confusion as a symptom. I don't know if you've ever had like confusion, like as an actual, like diagnosis, but it's whack, dude. Like you'll just, you'll just like be standing there and and then suddenly you don't know where you are or what you're doing or who you are or you know what was next it's like it's horrible it's one of the worst this is not to belittle sorry. yeah yeah yeah. i just know you're a bit of a nerd like me on this so yeah it's like one of the worst things that could happen to your pokemon being confused because you don't know how long it's going to take before <laughs> they actually they just can go turn by turn by turn it just it can just lose the whole battle that way. Dude, yeah, and they hurt themselves. Confusion is fucking, it's one of the worst things. I mean, I've been concussed a few times. Yeah, and you hurt yourself. Yeah. And that's one of the scariest, those are the scariest moments of my life is just being like, well, fuck. Yeah. I just, I all I know is that I'm not the same as I was moments ago. Totally. And that I'm a little bit unsure of who I am. You know, that's, it's like a, it's a horrible feeling. It is. And, and so that's, I large, I, that I think was when I had that like spark in me to like, I don't want anyone else to experience this. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, and so, but I, who was I at the time to share how to escape that trap being fully in it myself? You know, and so a, 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 the next few like years, you know, from like 21 to like 26 or 27, I would say, was like largely entirely focused on creating peace of mind for myself. Like, what the fuck is that? How mm -hmm. the, what, what is it that I can sit here, do a body scan, scan my body and can recognize that I am in a state of peace. I'm in a state of joy. You know, can I can I pull the lever or the dial in my brain that actually is being at peace? You know, anywhere, anytime, in the face of anything. And so that's like, because I wanted to give that to people. You know, and so that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, first of all, it's amazing that you wanted to give it to so many people, and that in your suffering, you instantly go to, I just don't want anyone else to feel this way. That's like. It's a, it's a beautiful impulse. I don't think that happens to everybody. And I think that's worth acknowledging. Thank you. And also, well, yeah, what did you do? Like, how did yeah. you find, I mean, not to say that the journey is probably completely over for you. It's yeah. a, you know, life is, is that way where there's a more rarefied air. Yeah. You know, always almost, but, but I love where you're headed with this. So, and so what, what next, how, what, yeah. you, you know, cause it seems like at least to some degree you have arrived 
at a state of being able to pull the levers For and sure. direct your experience in a way that is as intended. Yeah, I, I, I really feel at this point that I'm living a created life. You know, there's there's nothing that I can think of that I'm like tolerating, you know, mm -hmm. or putting up with. All my my relationships are created, you know, the down to like where everything's placed in the apartment, you know, and same thing with my own like little mental palace. Um, Ooh, I, I love that it's a palace. It is a palace. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got a palatial mind. Yeah, in here. exactly. And I think it it, it comes down to um, knowing what your core values are. You mm -hmm. know, know thyself. It's so important. And um, I didn't. I had no idea who I was. Like I had kind of been. And we all do this. We all get kicked into life just beats us up. And then, you know, suddenly you look down at yourself and you're 25 years old or 30 years old. And you're like, wow, this is the way I wound up being. This is the way I wound up, you know. And um, if you can, and this is what I do with coaches too. If you can get your hands around like, what are my, who, who am I, if you stripped away all of it you know, parkour, you know, music, uh, my relationships, my, my experience of myself, like what does the world get when you're there? What does the world get when you are there? What are your core values? What are, who are, who are you really? If you can really get your hands around that, that's all you need to do. And that, uh, and, and so that's what I started to do. And, your body will tell you if you're, if you're in tune with like your emotions, you know, like you'll watch UFC or, or Dragon Ball Z or, you know, some, and, and some, something you're gotten by something. Mm. You're like, man, some, I don't know what it is about this, but there's something there that speaks to me, like the, like core of who I am. And if you can get your hands around what that is and then start taking actions consistent with those core values the gap between who you want to be and who you are very quickly starts to do this and you're never like this you know that's mm. if you get to this that's ubermensch <laughs> you know what i mean like that's like you're like god mode at that point oh. yeah exactly you don't and exist you just yeah you, just, you disappear you, you, you know unify with all the ether yeah dude. yeah exactly so so the the goal very much so is um bring an honor to that gap between who you are and who you want to be and you don't allow it to diminish you most people diminish themselves when they see the gap between oh here's where i am mm. i've just aligned myself with the reality of the situation i'm a piece of shit <laughs> Yeah, no, seriously. Yeah. I wreck all my relationships. Mm. I don't know how to communicate. I'm bad with money. I eat like shit. I'm not taking any actions consistent with my core values. Well, if you can establish those core values, oh, there they are. Mm. I can see them. There they are. Mm. Then you see this gap. Now, here's where most people get tripped up is they allow the gap between who they are and where they want to be to diminish them. Mm. They use it as a way to invalidate themselves rather than oh there's the gap and my life could be about closing it mm. it could be it could be that that quote where it's like you know you get to the uh the end of the of, of your time on earth and uh who you are meets who you could have become you know i'm gonna kick that guy's ass in multiple categories you know <laughs> <laughs> seriously like that's so that and 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 that's fun for me like that's really exciting for me like yeah um 
Yeah. And, and so a large part of my journey was like, stop the self invalidation. You are who you are. You've done what you've done. You haven't done what you haven't done. Now what, Mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, those ways of being with coaching that like people resort to like skill, focus, show off, perfectionist, authoritative, you know, that burnout happens because they're not acting consistent with their core values, you know? And then, you know, like that, I was sitting there and that kid came up to me and I was like, Hey, go find someone else on the clock. I saw that that was not who I wanted to be. Mm. And it fucking killed me. Mm. It killed me. Like I, I, I didn't even want, I hated myself. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe I had become that type of person. I couldn't believe it, you know? And so, and I spent a long time in that invalidation rather than like having it be something empowering, something where it was like, yeah, you can accept yourself for a long, you know, you're just like, no, I just, I'm not that. I just, I, I swear I can't be that. And that's where most people will get But that's caught. a limit. It's like you it can is. be that and you can grow right out of it. Yeah. And you'll have people, you know, um, you said earlier, like when I approach like coaching, uh, like working with coaches, like it's got to permeate to other areas of your life. You bet your ass it does. You know, someone was yelled at once by their dad or multiple times or for their whole life and they made a decision somewhere. I will never be like my dad. I will never be like that. I will never leave someone with that. And so they, they overcorrect mm-hmm. and now they can't raise their voice. They can't, they can't uh, access that, uh, that commanding presence because they made a decision somewhere, you know, and, and that's just one example. There's like millions that there's so many ways you could land on as a coach or as a person. And so bringing into your field of view, oh man, I, I made a decision somewhere. I'm now no longer free to be any way or to act any way, you know? And, and so, yeah, that's, that was a big part of it for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a big part of it for sure. (laughs) Um, and you said as well that it's, it's something that you feel and that's something that you really paid attention to in terms of what your compass was in, in really centering those values and, and understanding who you really are. Is there anything else you want to elaborate on that in terms of like, were there practices, were there actors? Was it just sort of a, as you were living yeah. or did you sit and, you know, you do body scans, you talked about a little bit. Um, what are your thoughts on how people can feel into who they are? Yeah, that's a great question, man. <clears throat> and it's, um, I would say that it's different for everybody. And uh, it is, for me, it was a very nuanced thing because the other thing about it is you're not set in stone you know you're constantly like evolving and changing and so you there has to be an allowance that you give yourself to let go of who you think you are um but to 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 describe the process anything that you do to further your physical or mental capacity will get you in touch with this you know Weightlifting is obviously like super awesome. You come to literally, if you weightlift seriously for more than a month, I would say, um, your experience of yourself will shift and change noticeably to the point where you could, you could point to it. You could say, oh, before mm. my experience of myself was this, 
and after my experience of myself was this and weightlifting is just one example <coughs> you can use like parkour you can use making tea but giving yourself to something will definitely help you come to know yourself better and also i carried around on my phone and i still have this uh my partner cordelia and i do this we have an emotion wheel there's mm. four core emotions anger sadness fear happiness and then there's like the branches of all four of those that have like really nuanced like 35 within happiness 35 within mm. fear 35 within you know and so if you can identify just if you're happy or or sad or afraid you know if you can just identify one of the core ones then you can be like oh i'm happy right now what am i oh i'm actually like i'm actually like proud oh mm. what am i proud of oh it's like I'm proud of myself for accomplishing this thing. And that is an intrinsic reward, mm. you know? And so it's really important that you pay attention to what you are rewarded by, which is also why, side tangent, also why things like weed and caffeine and substances are so fucking dangerous because they hijack your reward system. You lose the ability to connect with what is naturally intrinsically rewarding for you. And anyone that smokes a lot will tell you that. They're like, oh yeah, I used to love playing video games. Now I have to smoke to play video games. And if I'm not high, I can't enjoy my video game or I can't enjoy this party unless I'm drunk or I can't, you know. And so being able to get in touch with what rewards you is so fucking important. And it speaks to who you are, you know, like I'm, I love, I love it when someone comes to me and they're like, I want to learn how to do a B twist. I'm like, yes, like <laughs> I cannot wait for you to learn how to do this. And then when they get it, like I feel so fucking good. Mm -hmm. So, and that just tells me that I'm a coach. Mm. The very first thing that I did when I had a camera at 12 years old is film a free running tutorial. <laughs> Hi, I'm Chris Hollingsworth. I'm a free runner. Today, I'm going to show you how to do some different things. And like, that's just that's what I mm. wanted to do. That was rewarding for me. And it was pointing to all along. It was always pointing to who I was. Mm. And you came into the world a certain way. You, you came in perfect and whole and mm. complete as a being, you know, and then there's all this stuff that just like gets in the way of that. When I was a kid, I, I would hand my mom a stopwatch at four years old and I would say, time me running down the street and then I'm going to try and beat my time. And like, <laughs> no one taught me that. I came in with this drive to like achieve and be better. So now all of my like lifestyle choices and like what I do with my free time revolve around things like that, mm -hmm. you know, like furthering myself and rewarding whatever that system is intrinsically. Does that make sense? Yes. I mean, you know, you just, you, you've gotten to know yourself. It seems like you're like, you've identified a few things. I like to, I have a drive within me. Okay. Well, let's feed that because that makes me happy and i should be taking i like that i'm happy you know yeah. like i'm kind of definitely that's another maybe value is like i, like, I kind of want to live this happy existence totally that seems good and it seems like i'm more effective maybe at everything i do when i'm in that state and also i have this natural propensity to want to share my knowledge and share what i have learned with the world and so let's lean into that yeah and yeah i love that i love that that you've found you know, and again, like you said, you're going to evolve and you're always going to, 
you can't box yourself in. I think one of the things you made me realize is, you know, these people that are, they have one tool or they have one way to talk. It's, it's not working for the kids and it's also not working for you, right? Like that's how you talk to yourself probably is why yes. you're using that one tool. <laughs> Very good. And so, yeah, totally. And so it's not helping anybody. Yeah. And so when you liberate yourself from, from the single tool and stuff, then how was I going with that? But anyhow. <laughs> yeah, no, that's just, I love that you said that too. One of the things that I focus on in my workshop mm -hmm. is, you know, you have, you have coaches who like, they really struggle working with a child that exhibits undue attention behavior. A child that's like, Brandon, 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 guess what I did over the weekend? Guess what? I, oh my God. Guess what, you know, and they just want to share with you. Yeah. And I could assert that someone that really struggles to deal with that type of student also struggles with excitement within themselves. Somewhere along the mm -hmm. line, they shut themselves down with excitement. And the cool thing about it is if you, if you struggle to give yourself like the grace to experience excitement, you can practice with a student, mm. like be with their excitement, like get their excitement, experience it with them. You may find that it's easier for you to be generous with a student versus like you don't get, you don't cut yourself any slack. You know, someone mm. else makes a mistake. You're like, oh, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, that's totally fine. Mistakes happen. You make a mistake. You're like, you fucking idiot. Oh I can't believe <laughs> that you did, you know, so much better. You yeah. know, so if you find you're in a position like that, yeah. it's, it's a reflective relationship. You can actually, by giving other people the grace and being generous with, with your students, you can come to that same grace and generosity within yourself. And that will totally unclutch un unbox your being completely, mm -hmm. which is also a really cool part about coaching. Like, yeah, you can just, you can unshackle yourself, you know, by, by sharing with other people and by being certain ways with other people by allowing them to be. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. So love that. Oh man. I want a crash course in Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> Dude, don't do this to me. <laughs> I just, I didn't mean to spring this on you, but I just, I needed to, this has been on my mind. I, I've right. never seen any of the series. Okay. I got you. I've, I, I don't need to go in fresh. I kind of want to know what, you know, it's about, I know that there's too much and there's like 40 different volumes of different iterations of it and stuff. But <clears throat> when we come to, you know, your understanding of it, because I know this has been a highly er, um, inspirational force for you yes. and, and for many of the founding practitioners, as, as we've learned, and uh, many other people in parkour and all over the world. So can you give me <laughs> a broad stroke of like what the story of Dragon Ball Z is and why is it so compelling? Yeah. And why is it such a good reflection of what, we all are on the journey of with ourselves. It's a great question. And um, there's a uh, Dragon Ball Z is so interesting because um, you can map yourself onto various characters at various points in your life. Um, one of the reasons why it's been so impactful for as long as it has for me is because when I was a kid, you know, I identified so much with Goku and Gohan. Gohan's like this kid who you know, he's Goku's kid. And um, inside of Gohan, there's this power. 
and everyone everyone but gohan experiences it like when gohan like shows up even as like a kid that's like literally pissing mm. his pants vegeta and nappa are like oh shit we should probably kill that thing before it knows it discovers how to use its power mm. you know and so um i like related to that so much as a as a kid growing up just being like yeah i don't experience myself as powerful you know, and, and I, and, but within me, there has to be something, there has to be something that like I can hold on to. And then as I got older, you know, there, um, I started to lean more towards, uh, Goku, you know, and Goku is, um, he's someone that doesn't give a fuck. He does not care about anything other than pushing himself and getting stronger. Hmm. Like People hate Goku as a character because one of the things that he does is he puts the entire universe into jeopardy by making this tournament happen where if they lose, the whole universe, there's seven universes in Dragon Ball, their whole universe gets wiped out. But he wanted to do it just so he could push himself, just so he could like fight other really strong fighters. Mm-hmm. And like that showed me so much about single-mindedly focusing on what's important to me you know and um and that's what i've done with my life largely you know i i have been there have been so many cases where people have attempted to keep me in one place you know i i've worked at like a bunch of different companies and uh and every time that i go somewhere you know i'm a high performer i'm really good at just like pretty much anything that I apply myself to. And so naturally, like you wouldn't want to lose like one of your best employees, but even if it means taking less money, even if it means putting me into a position where I'm not as comfortable, I always follow that drive of like, no, this is important to me. Parkour is important to me. Contributing to people is important to me. Getting stronger is important to me. Sharing with people is important to me. You know, I'm going to go wherever I can do that the most, even if it's like, crazy from the outside looking in like you're nuts taking like a thirty thousand dollar pay cut to go be a parkour coach again you know like what what are you doing what are you thinking and so really relate to him there and then you have characters like vegeta who like man all he cares about is being better than goku that's (laughs) all he cares about and god i relate to to that Mm. you know like uh growing up with dante all i wanted all I wanted was to be better than Dante. That's all I want. That's all I cared about as a kid growing <laughs> up, you know, and he knows it and I, and I know it. And what I have now is the type of relationship that Goku has with Vegeta in the series for like way further on where they're close friends mm. and they share like their sadnesses and their happinesses together. You know, I all the time will just text Dante and be like, yo, dude, I love you. I miss you. And it's instantly reciprocated. You know, like, I love you, miss you too. Can't wait to come back. He's like the only dude that I wanted to come down and visit when I came to Colorado. I went and stayed at his house and hung out with him. That type of relationship wouldn't have been possible if I didn't see someone else who was like locked in the vices of like, like rivalry Mm. navigate those waters successfully, you know, and, and Vegeta, like he has all of these opportunities to take shortcuts. He has so many opportunities given to him in the show to um, become as powerful as Goku. And he gives into it one time. 
And the one time that he does, he realizes that it was a mistake and he fucking kills himself in order to, he sacrifices himself to save everyone else, wow. you know? And so like that, oh man, it's so, it's just really cool to see someone like not care, only care about this, have this like internal uh, turmoil that they don't really know why and then navigate that, you know? And like, it's easy for me to just like map myself onto that and be like, oh yeah, I used to only care about being better than other people and what a shallow prize is at mm. the top of that, you know? Cause you can, you can get to that point where you're like as good or better than the people you were competing against. Mm -hmm. And then what are you left with? <laughs> nothing. You're left with the realization that that is nothing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and you're left with the opportunity, I guess, to now that you know that what, what now? Yes, which totally. is great. And you know, and it's cool. I, I mean, I, to some degree, that was my story as well. And, and, um, and it's kind of funny, like it almost feels sort of sad and pathetic in a way that like I had to have it before I could move on, but we all have to learn certain lessons, certain ways, you know? And so it's not something I hold against myself, but it's, it is funny. Cause it's like some people get that without having to have the thing. It seems like, dude, totally. or they have to have something different and you know, we all have to learn it in one degree or another, but it is, um, it's sort of never ending in some ways, you know, the things that we want, it's, it is. it's, a, it's constantly moving, evolving games. So, yeah. And that rivalry that I had with other people very much so turned inward, you know, mm -hmm. it's not like I kind of, I kind of relate to people and myself, like, um, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but like baked bread, <laughs> you know, like you, there's only so many ingredients that make you up and like, I'm not going to go in after the loaf has been baked and like, watch out to <laughs> Hey, he's going to kill our stream, whatever. Get out of here, Tofu. He's good, but just be careful up there, buddy. Well, he just wants to sit. He's blocking everything. He's like, what's going on up here? Oh, he's going to knock it over. Don't do it. <laughs> he's so cute, man. I know. Sorry, what are you saying? Uh, I just, I, I kind of relate to like myself and like other people like baked bread. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. Give me the baked bread. Yeah, so that's, no. uh, there. there's only so many ingredients that make you up. After you're baked, it's like, nah, dude, you're done. Like, mm. if I cut you open, like, there's the there's the yeast, you know, there's the water, there's the raisins, <laughs> and so um, I am more so interested in like, how do you take the mechanisms that you're already like that are baked into you, mm. and then you use them in ways that like fulfill you, fulfill other people? Because the way that I like related to Dante, for example, super unhealthy. Like what it, what it had me do is it had me compare myself to him. It had me compete with him. Imagine being like close friends with someone who their only reason they're friends with you is to be better than you. Mm. Like that's messed up, Yeah, you know? And like, and it's also not a fun friendship. No. And the, the whole time I'm like projecting onto him being like, oh yeah, you're trying to be better than me, you know? <laughs> but like, I just experience him as like uh, somewhere somewhere I'm not. And so then my whole existence is around that versus I can take that same mechanism of like seeing something and wanting to achieve it and I can turn it inward, mm. you know, and I can turn it in towards myself in a way that isn't diminishing and isn't harmful. I can say, okay, when you were 23, you could triple aerial twist, you know, you're 30. Who, who are you now that you aren't, that you weren't back then? And who were you back then that you aren't now? What mm. are those qualities? And you is can, triple A twist 
one of those things? <laughs> yeah. Apparently yeah. not. Yeah. No, seriously though. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I love that. Oh man. So cool. Baked bread. I'm going to have to think about what kind of loaf I am. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, you, you seem to have a pretty good handle on who you are, you know, and like what makes you tick and you know, your routines, uh, you know, sometimes appearances can be deceiving. I think I do, but also, you know, I'm very careful not to, to espouse like any kind of certainty around that because mm. to me, the mystery only gets even more big as I've gone deeper and deeper in some ways. And so being more sure of who I am is also a simultaneous, like it's simultaneously like intertwined with It's not certainty, I guess, is what it, what I'm talking about. It's yeah. like it's actually more unknown, but I'm more comfortable with that, and I'm yeah. more um, adept and in tune with who I am. But it's almost like it's it's as as deep as it is as high. So the yeah. the more the only way to even know myself further is to put myself in again in a in a sort of at my edge, at, in a place of jeopardy. And so totally. it sort of never feels like the game is like, oh yeah, but there, but there are cruising altitudes with certain things. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, even Dante did that to me too. Yeah. You know, Dante is a freaking beast. He's here yeah. to teach us how to, he's godlike. how to, he's just too godlike. Yeah. You know, we love Dante because he's helped, he's helped us. And Dylan was another one who, yeah. you know, there's, I was rivalrous with almost everybody at a certain stage because yeah. Uh, yeah, I wanted to be better than everybody. Yeah. Um, but again, these people help us learn that that's not it. Totally. And then we help us direct that energy in a more healthy place. And so, yeah, I don't have that same issue. And I have subtler and subtler. And I love what you're talking about with the emotional wheel and stuff because I, I had a similar chart. It wasn't a wheel, but it was, it was your wheel's better. I had an <laughs> emotional rectangle. It should have been a circle. It's a better shape. Yeah. But anyhow. Whatever works, like, man. What, sometimes it's just like you start to get these more subtle languages and you have to you you get these you just start to get more and more and more distinction um, distinction yeah yeah that's a good word it's kind of like uh you know if you've never had wine before mm -hmm. maybe you know there's like red wine and white wine you like that yeah, yeah it's like cool <laughs> but you can't tell the cedar from the oak and you can't tell the what it pairs with yeah yeah and so as you explore it more it definitely becomes more distinct for sure yeah and that's man there's um there's this great analogy that I like to use. Um, it's called the lawnmower analogy. And that is, uh, we all have ways of being and acting. Like you just wound up being, you're a human being, mm. you know, and this is, this is, this is an ontological discussion. This is like a, 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 a specific school of thought around being. And your, let's say you have a way of being, of being like um, uh, empathetic and kind, you know, let's, let's just use that as an example. So here you are being empathetic and kind, and that lawnmower, that works really well where it works. That's cutting grass super fine. It works so well to be empathetic and kind in mm -hmm. relationships and in certain situations that people are dealing with something. But then, you know, you take that same lawnmower of being empathetic and kind, you go put it over on the gravel, suddenly <laughs> it's hurling rocks and you're not communicating your needs or you find yourself being like empathetic and kind in situations where you should have been a bit more stern or, mm -hmm. you know, advocating for yourself. And so I think it's really important to get your hands around the lawnmower's handles. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take that, don't, don't, 
try and get rid of the way of being of empathetic yeah. and kind, but have it run on grass, you know, have it yeah. run where it works and take it off of the gravel, <laughs> you know, like stop busting up your relationships and your experience of yourself. And, you know, people have relationships with money and fitness and, uh, you know, people and all, all of those things, they've got lawnmowers on the gravel somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to like, kind of take it off and put it on the grass. <laughs> and that's a lot of like what we do with motion yeah. mentors too, is we, we, we take, we take the lawnmowers off the gravel. We start putting them on the grass. Yeah. Yeah. For gravel, we use a rake. I don't know. <laughs> something, yeah. Yeah, something use, that's not a lawnmower. Else. Yeah, totally. Or, you know, whatever I get you. I love that analogy actually. And yeah, I think that's, that's super true. And, um, yeah, my I got a few lawnmowers still on gravel here and there, but you know, what would the fun be if you didn't? Exactly, you know. Yeah. I'm here. I'm. We're all here for those lessons and and for those reflections and stuff. Like even the student, you know, teacher student coach relationship, like you're saying, can teach you and gain give you a lot if you let it. Yeah. Um. And opening up yourself to just more and more ways of being. Totally. So. Yeah, well said. I think this might be a good place to kind of wrap up. We've been going for a couple hours, actually. Oh, wow. So Jeez. It's been like... <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything else you'd like to, to add? I mean, or did, did we anything we didn't cover today? Oh, you know what I wanted to ask real quick? Yeah, sure. It was like kind of a last question is yeah. part, of, part of your accolades are is your judging. And mm. you've done a lot of judging and stuff for you know, various competitions and you do, you're on the USPK judging criteria committee. Yes. And I guess I just wanted to, I want to hear your thoughts on, let's talk about competition, judging the the challenges of that. And then also <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll start there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh boy. Well, I'm a style judge, mm-hmm. you know? So like it's speed is objective. Like literally it's super easy to, uh, to you know you either made a certain time or you didn't skill is also really objective like you you accomplish the skill or not style is subjective and um judging that is all about man it's 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 super super nuanced how do you take something that's subjective and an expression of self and and quantify it with like a number you know Mm. um and so like as a judge i I really think that it's important to create systems within judging in the same way that I was talking about creating coach as a distinction. You know, as a coach, I'm looking and seeing and interacting with the world a completely different way than I am as like, you know, any other distinction that I could be. And it's the same thing with a judge. As a judge, there's like certain ways of being that you bring forth and there are certain things that you leave at the door as a judge. And so, um, not my biggest challenge personally, but my biggest challenge implementing within the industry, like teaching other judges and working with like the athlete and judges committee, um, is what, what is that? What are the, what are the things that we're bringing forth as judges so that Mm. we can create the, the most fair experience possible for athletes? You know, there's, if someone performs better, you know, there's like 10 different categories that we're looking at and we want to make sure that this person gets the points that they earned and deserved. But like, man, 
how the hell do you do that? Especially with, um, you know, look at someone like Kevin Franzen versus someone like Ellis Torhall. Mm-hmm. You know, Ellis Torhall can consistently triple twist. You know, Kevin Franzen also can, you know, he can quad outside, which is awesome. But like, that's not what he's doing in competition. But you, you could argue, you could argue that what he's doing and the way he's interacting with obstacles and how he's thinking of things and how he's putting things together, even if it's like not a triple twist or a double flip, what he's doing is at the exact same, if not a higher level, depending on what we're looking for, than someone like Ellis or mm-hmm. Kalen or you know people who are hitting like triple twists and double flips. So that's been a big challenge. Like, what is that exactly that we're rewarding for people? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how do you do that in a way that's like fair across the board? So I, and man, this is going to be funny coming from me. Cause I'm like a twist bot, <laughs> but like, um, how do you have someone that like just spams doubles, you know, and has like no flow and like no connection. Um, how do you have someone that isn't even interested in that score at the same level or higher than someone that's just like spamming dubs, you know, just cause dubs and triples are like difficult doesn't mean that's like what we're here for. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. And how competitions are designed develops athletes. You know, it's SPL, you have to train a specific way to compete at SPL. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't take some random free runner off of the street and have them do well in SPL because they ha- you have to train for it. And this is not a bad thing, but I do think there needs to be more variety so that way we can um, basically create culture around how we train and how we develop ourselves as athletes. Mm -hmm. I started lifting uh, primarily so that I could keep up, you Mm -hmm. know, so I could take impact and like jump as high as I could or not or higher as a kid, you know, and um, that's not something that I feel like you should have to do. You know, if you're training, like, like, look at someone like Luke Albrecht, Mm -hmm. bringer of light on Instagram, you know, he can, he can create such nuanced and technical lines in like an area that you would never look at as a parkour practitioner. You've got like a, a, a ledge that's like three inches off the ground (laughs) and like a gravel patch. And he's doing shit where I'm like, God, that's so creative. And that's so beautiful. You know, and he wouldn't be rewarded in a, in a competition for that way of thinking, mm-hmm. you know, and that way of training, but he should be. Mm. So that's like, if you look at, um, if you look at the way USPK is going with like their style, we're trying to include, um, basically everybody so that you can express yourself and what was, uh, qualitative can be quantified and, and you can, you can compete with the people that are, you don't have to have triple ABCs mm. to stand a chance at podiuming, you know, or full ends or doubles. Like I want to be able to look at someone's creativity and reward that, you know, mm-hmm. in the same way that you reward difficulty. Am I making sense? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And it's just, you know, Tim, Tim comes to mind right now because Tim chief, uh, you know, a legend, and our growing yeah, up a bit is like somebody who was kind of like he rode that creativity wave by hybridizing some skills that in and of themselves in their their unique disciplines 
they don't get a lot of credit maybe at, at that kind of competition that was like specialized but by bringing them into this sort of new space and and adding to the conversation in a way well you haven't seen this on concrete you haven't seen this on a bar at height or from this position he was able to take you know a lot of competitions and sweep them even though now we look at what he did and it wouldn't it just wouldn't it's not creative and so that's what's cool about the creativity i think is it's it's a kind of risk almost because you can invest your skills in the doubles and the tri triples and we all know that those are going to be those are we all know they're hard and they're always going to be hard and they have a certain value because of it and creativity is like you can invest and you can become a certain type of practitioner and not to say that, I mean, Tim Sheaf was as prolific as they get, but I'm just saying what you create is not necessarily going to have the same staying power because you can only have that creativity factor at the edge. You know, totally. it doesn't, it doesn't have staying power in the same way. You're absolutely right. Which is super interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. And the game, the game is evolving and it's changing. And, um, when I was a, a judge for SPL, uh, this year, um, there's like various things that you take into consideration as a judge, you know, like difficulty, execution, like all that stuff, connection, like it's all, it's all there. But actually one of the things I really like about SPL is the number one thing, the number one thing that we looked at as a judge is whether or not, and I'm going to say this in my own words, I'm mm -hmm. not representing sport parkour league. This is like my interpretation of it, but, um, whether or not what was being done was forwarding parkour, mm. was forwarding free running, was it innovating, you know, was it building upon the conversation that is parkour, you know? And so, and what was done last year is stale for what's going to be coming up this next year. And that's mm -hmm. like, that's something that a very specific group of people are focused on and they should be, mm. you know, that's fucking cool. Yeah. It's the, I lost my mind. I, 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 there's probably a clip of me somewhere, like just absolutely losing it up there when, um, uh, say hit that um, triple court oh precision, God. dude. <laughs> dude, I lost my mind. Yeah, you have no. I, I was just like, that was insane, dude. That like, was yeah, absolutely absurd. It's so cool to see like that you can take a triple twist and now apply a gap precision to it. Like, and no one said anything about it, but and I don't know because I can't do even one to pre. But the step up, and I I know that dude. launches a little bit, but it's a precise <laughs> footing, and it's just like there wasn't. It wasn't like you just get to go off an edge. He had to like put his foot on something. Yeah, that was like another crazy part of it. It is crazy. And, but here's where it gets complicated. It's like, who's to say, who's to say that is any less forwarding the conversation than a directional change that Kevin Franzen applies on a bar, mm. you know, or something like that. Something where it's like, you would have to, you would have to know like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. And no one really does that. And mm. that, that's going to unlock a whole world for people like you know that uh vault that jason uh paul just put out that it's like this like weird like reverse step vault thing and like he put that out and then like suddenly my instagram feed is like just people doing that vault like mm -hmm. the conversation evolved in one clip mm. you know and like that's really cool that's really cool and you're not going to see that with triple cork pre mm -mm. there's going to be like a handful of people that are like okay triples and doubles but like in terms of like the community forwarding the conversation as a community, 
I think there's a lot more that we can put in the basket of people uh, being more creative in that way. Mm -hmm. You know, I I went down to uh, Nebraska recently and I was interacting with a guy who um, is really interested in competing and has never approached competition because there's a gate. It's like there's a gate you have to pass of like, Mm -hmm. damn, I don't stand a chance unless I have like dubs and like I'm really crazy good at parkour, Mm -hmm. you know, and like that's not the case for him anymore because he's like, wow, there's other competitions where I can be me. I can express who I am and that's, and everything's going to be taken into consideration, you know? And I think that's really important and really cool. That is really cool and really, really important. Yeah. Because that'll keep us from becoming too rigid and static and then eventually stale and dead in the way that gymnastics has sort of lost its fan base to some degree to us, you know, as parkour practitioners and as our, as a community yeah if you're not so, hitting full foals on the floor your routine <laughs> doesn't stand a fucking chance so back it up yeah and so, <laughs> yeah it's important it's really cool well i wanted to ask you too real quick because you are the twist bot <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i just want to like these these questions might not even make sense yeah 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 but like i want to get your take on what is a twist like existentially mm. what does it represent Mm. in the field of oh, of of movement and, and life yeah dude I and mean, and then and you could contrast that with a flip if yes. you want or so, any other movement god oh this is such a good question and it's also why i love dragon ball z so much so um there's a a flip a flip is a rotation on an axis and so is a twist now proprioception is the sense of where you are in the air or just in space in relation to other objects mm-hmm. and to other things. So what that tells me right away is if I do a backflip, that takes a certain amount of skill. Okay. There's a time where I jump up, I hit my high point, gravity does its thing. I start to fall and then I land. Okay. That's, that's the jumping continuum. Now I'm going to add a backflip to that. Okay. I'm going to do my backflip. Boom. I hit my high point. I'm finishing my tuck. Now I'm going to land. Great. So now there's a moment in a backflip where you lose sight of the ground and you lose awareness and all fear in flips is a lack of understanding. Your brain doesn't understand where you are in relationship to the ground. It doesn't know what's going to happen. It doesn't know where you are basically. So when you add a twist, there's the jumping continuum, all right, up here. Mm -hmm. You jump, you hit your high point, you fall. There's the flipping continuum. You do your flip, you complete your flip, you land. Then there's the twisting continuum. The twisting continuum is like, let's use a backflip 360 as an example. The, in, the, in, a, in a backflip 360, the jumping continuum would be however long it takes me to jump, hit my high point and land. The flip in a backflip 360 is a backflip and the twist in a backflip 360 is a 360. So you now have to understand where you are in relationship to the ground. Not only that, but also where each of those continuums are in relationship to each other. Where's my 180 being completed? Where's mm. my 360 being completed? Where, is, is, my fl- is my twist going to be done like around the same time that my flip is being completed? Is it going to be done uh, after my flip is being completed? That's what a gyro is. You mm. finish the flip and then you start twisting. Or am I going to twist first and then flip? That's like full ups and stuff like that. So you can add uh, different things. But every... I'm going to say 180. You can go, you can break it down further than this, but I'm going to say 180. 
every 180 of a twist requires a spot. Mm. So when I do uh, like a triple twist, theoretically, I should be spotting the ground six times. Okay. Now that's like really intense to like think about, you know, but it, it gets easier the more you like discover what it feels like for each small step. And the reason why I said it relates to Dragon Ball Z is because another twist is another stage and evolution in your awareness, you know, in the mm -hmm. same way that Goku discovers fury and he becomes super Saiyan. Then he discovers like uh, the necessity to protect the ones that he loves. And then he discovers super Saiyan two. And then he just like out of sheer enjoyment and like love of like getting stronger, he discovers Super Saiyan 3, you know? And so like the twisting very much so represents like my evolution and like my progression in life. Mm. What is what is 180 to me? You know, mm. what is that to me? That's a whole new level of awareness and for other people. Like, that's why I get so freaking stoked about mm. teaching flips and twists to other people. What you once didn't understand, you now have a whole new realm of understanding and experience. You know where you are in relationship to objects and the ground uh, while you're blind, essentially. How fucking cool is that? <laughs> so that makes what, like, Say did, that triple cork precision, just, like, it's almost like two cool and beautiful for me to articulate how amazing that is you know and oh God, yeah it's and i'm an old-fashioned thinker you know because like when i was growing up <clears throat> single cork was if you could cork like you were a god yeah you know like that it was just like if you corked you were you made it you know as a free runner <laughs> and like that very quickly was like okay Dub is the new single. Now triple is the new double. Mm. Now quad is the new triple. Mm. You know, and so I'm still, and I will say this confidently, I'm going to land quadruple aerial twist outside. I am definitely going to do that. I have not done that yet. Let's I've done it in go. a gym. Yeah, I'm going to, and I'm going to do it. And it's going to, what it represents for me, it may not represent that for other people. Mm. You know, like, um, uh, what's his name? James West hit quad a twist pop full outside so we landed it and popped yeah. full that's insane that's it just blows my mind but you know it doesn't mean to him what it means to me i don't think you know so like yeah. for me hitting quad a twist is like i can kind of hang it up after that you know like i think <laughs> when, when it comes to twisting <laughs> so yeah does that oh, answer man. your question that does i mean yeah i just wanted to get a feel for it because I don't know how you think of it. And I, this is a crazy question because I don't think about jumping or vaulting and stuff in this way. But I was like, I wonder what it is about twisting. Like what kind of awareness does that give you in how is that different? How is that awareness? I mean, outside of the physical domain, and I don't even know that it really does extrapolate that far. But I'm, I'm, I'm curious about thinking about what are the subtle aspects about twisting? that are integrated with the kind of person you are. Yeah. And 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 how does that differ from somebody who does flips? Or yeah. how does that differ from somebody who's more pure parkour A to B stuff? And like, you know what I mean? This so is, I'm, this I, is a, I just think about, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say it's a it's a, a crude way of putting it, but um, 
in that book I recommended earlier from Dr. Sue Massimo, mm. one of the one of the things they talk about with twisting, uh, and I, I again I I don't like the way that this is put like into uh, gendered terms. It's more like who you become as a person, but it's uh they say in the book twisting separates the boys from the men mm. because what's required of you is a such a higher level of awareness, mm-hmm. and you have to. You have to combine everything you know about flips and jumps mm-hmm. and do it blind. Yeah. You know? And again, blind and again, blind if you do the three. Yeah. Or, yeah. And then there's or the- Actually, blind, 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 five blinds. Yes. No, totally. <laughs> and that's why, um, like for me, it's so significant. It's so significant that at 30 years old, I can go outside, be called to do mm-hmm. a triple aerial twist. I see a spot and I'm like, oh, it's, this is just calling me. And I can hit that shit clean, mm. you know, that, that means so much about me to me, mm-hmm. you know, and like everything I have, like that's mastery for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. You know? I can't think, I can't think of a better example of what mastery is honestly than like honing in on. So it took me four years to land a single butterfly twist. It took me four years of practice. <laughs> I saw Juji Mufu do it on a video and I was like, I need that trick. And I thought I was the shit when I landed the twist because it was like this and this and this and this and yeah. I lost it. And it was like this again. Then I had to get it back. And then, and then lo and behold, I meet Dante dude hits a double B twist in front of me and my world shatters because <laughs> it took me four years to land this oh single twist. And I had just been training by myself and it was like, you know, I really thought I was like super, super good. Like I had hit some peak. Yeah. I hit some peak and I didn't. And then someone <laughs> just comes along and just fucking doubles yeah, dude. it up. And he still does that. He, yeah. I, that's who he is for me in so many ways. Yeah. He's, uh, he, he's dealing with a meniscus tear right now, an injury. And his, the way that he's approaching his injury and like his thought process about that is still an inspiration to me to this day. He's still shining lights on areas that I haven't looked. Yeah. And I think that's super cool, you know? Absolutely. So yeah. You sold me. I've got to learn some twists. I'll teach you B twists. I need dude. to learn some twists. We got yeah. some time. We got some daylight left. Maybe yeah. we can do some today. I'm down. Um thank you for everything that you're doing for the community and with motion mentors and with all the students that you've had and affected through the years and and for your friendship and just your kick-ass approach to life, man. Um, it's been really great to have you on the program. Thank you so much. And I hope and we can do it again. Honestly, I am honored to be here again. You have uh, your, yours is hung up, but mine's... Oh, shit! Mine's on my body. <laughs> you still got it. I'm out here training in this, dude. dude. When, if you go back and if you look, if you look, Brandon... If you look at, I'm getting choked up. If you look at any time that I compete, what I'm wearing is this shirt. What I'm wearing is the shorts because of what it represents and what it means to me. And so thank you for who you are and for what you've provided to the community, you know, and it's, it's my honor to be here on this podcast and to be hanging out with you. So you, you, you guys showed me what being a warrior was when I was younger. And that's something that I took with me. And I'll continue to take with me for the rest of my life. I don't know what to say except I love you, man. I love you're you too, the best. Bro. And I do notice that you wear the shorts. Hell yeah. And it means a lot to me that that you would say that. Yeah. And that's how you feel about it. And um and I'm so you know, we're equally honored. 
you know, cool. I'm, I'm so happy to share the road with you. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, you're, dude. you're super inspiring. Thanks, man. I'm glad you could return the favor because I, I didn't know I inspired. I knew I inspired you, I guess, because you were wearing it. But also just know that the feeling is very mutual. Heard. Totally gotten. Thanks, brother. And that's it. We'll see you guys later. Cool. I'm from my heart, but I use my brain too.